Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome back to Bucketheads, Land Grant Holy Land's college basketball podcast and one of the only college basketball-focused podcasts in the SB Nation family of sites. Since Justin is in Alabama this week, I am joined by Chris Rennie for episode 52. Chris hosts Buck Off, which is another fantastic podcast curated by the fine folks here at Land Grant Holy Land. And this week, he's putting the football cap down and putting on the basketball cap. So thank you for filling in this week, Chris. Yeah, thanks for having me, Connor. Um, you're right about me putting the football cap down. I uh, got to watch two Ohio State basketball games this week. Uh, both teams played it really well to start the season. I know we probably won't give too much credit to Robert Morris, but I think it, it does deserve a special shout-out to the women's team beating Tennessee, the fifth-ranked team in the country, I believe, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was a uh... I didn't really budget in a space to talk about them, but you're absolutely right. They definitely deserve a shout out because yeah, they I, uh, absolutely stifled Tennessee. Yeah, basketball's back. It, it's November. Uh, I was funny. I was talking to Jordan on Buck Off last week, my co-host there. I was like, you know, uh, college basketball is back. That means college football's almost over. It's like a sad and happy time for me. Well, right now we're in that like twilight zone that's like, crossover where you have almost every week you'll have two basketball games and a football game for the next four weeks three or four weeks you'll pretty much have two hoops contests and a football game for almost the next month which is really cool yeah it's, Um, it's it's a good time of year that's for sure this week's episode may go a little shorter just because we're wedged in between two games um Robert Morris and Charleston Southern. So we probably won't go super in depth on either, but we're going to try to touch on both. Um, game one, the season opener, 
was Monday against Robert Morris. Game two against Charleston Southern um, is on Thursday. And Chris, I'm not sure if you got if you got the chance to watch Ohio State's full game against Robert Morris on Monday, but that was actually their widest margin of victory in nine years since they beat Morgan State by 39 points back in the 2013 home opener. They were led by guys like uh, Mark Loving and LaQuinton Ross. Yeah, shout out to those guys. The That was kind of that middling era for Ohio State basketball. But I did, I did watch the whole game. Uh, I, I do have the Big Ten Network Plus. I, I think it's a great tool for me with like recaps and like looking up film and stuff. So I do have it and I did watch the game and I actually first game overmatched opponent. You know, it's kind of a very hard conversation to really project going forward, but I did like how well it looked like everybody kind of played together, you know, for having all the new faces. Yeah, they had contributions, I think, uh, up until the walk-ons and like Kalen Etzler and Bowen Harden, which we'll, we'll talk about them at some point. Um, their nine-man rotation was very obvious by the end of the game. Like these are the nine guys that Holtman is comfortable playing and all of them, all of them scored in the first half, actually. So um, they got contributions up and down. All the freshmen scored. Bryce Sensible almost had a double-double in, in, in his collegiate debut. He had 17 and 9. But the, the main story was not the freshmen. Um, it was Justice Suing, who played his first basketball game in 360 days. Um, and I actually tweeted out a poll, which did not get a ton of answers, but... Um, I said over or under 17 and a half justice suing points tonight and 81% of the people voted under and justice suing went for 20 points, two rebounds, three steals and a block in 24 minutes. And it kind of felt like they were rolling a, a dusty old, like Monte Carlo out of the garage for the first time in a couple of years. Cause he looked really, really good. Yeah. Uh, I, I I was really impressed with suing how he was moving. Uh, I know what was it an ankle injury in the offseason that kind of held him out of that first exhibition yeah. game. So to come back from that look very fresh. Uh, it, he didn't force anything either, and I think that's the biggest strength of suing's game is it just usually comes naturally in the flow of everything. Um, but you're right. I I think a lot of people really underestimated the value he would have had on the team last year. And then that responsibility increased Ed Key's role, increased EJ Liddell's role, and so on and so forth. And I think this year, Suing's going to be kind of the guy, like early in the game, you could tell, things are going to run through him, things are going to run through Zed Key, and then the rest of the guys will fill in the rest. Yeah, I think that it's an, it was, it kind of looked like a, sounded like an overused excuse last season because you heard almost every time that Ohio State lost or they were struggling in an area, one of the things that Chris Holtman would always say is, you know, we, we planned on having justice here and he would have contributed in fill in the blank because he is a fill in the blank kind of player. I mean, he could go grab you 10 rebounds, not every game, but occasionally he's a 15 to 20 points per game scorer. He's a forward slash guard who can kind of handle the ball if you really need him to. Um, he's not an elite defender, but at his size at like 6'8", 220, He's big enough. He's big enough to guard like three, he, four, he five guard if fours. necessary. Yeah, he, 
Uh, and he, he can also I mean, guard like guards if need be. Yeah, him as a power forward is honestly a pretty dangerous weapon next to Zed Key because I think he spreads the floor a little more naturally than Liddell, and there's not going to be as much clashing with those two. So I, I think, like, it's Robert Morris, but I just think it feels like they have – like I really liked uh, Isaac, uh, like a I, I don't want to butcher his name, like a Kelly. Uh, his effort is going to be he's going to be a fan favorite for Iowa State. Uh, Sean McNeil forced it a little bit, uh, but I, I really like the starting lineup. I, I don't know how you felt about that. I, Bruce Thornton, I didn't I didn't realize that was him because he doesn't look like a freshman. So I, I think that's kind of where my mind drifted. Was like just looking at the starting five. I really kind of liked the balance it had. So for future reference. It is likely. It's pronounced just like L-I-K-E-L-Y. It's just likely. All right. I'm um, just going to call him Ice. It's uh, it's spelled like 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 Keel, but it's just likely. Um, what was – I'm trying to remember the, the, the lineup switch when Justice – when uh, Ohio State's SID told us before the game started, actually, Justice was going to sub in – Four, and I'm trying to remember. I thought it was going to be suing four, likely, but it ended up being suing for Sensabaugh. Um, because gotcha. I think that Bryce, Bryce Sensabaugh has, I think, more of an offensive upside than Isaac likely does. Um, I don't see Isaac likely going off for 15, 20 points very often, but if you, you know, if people watched, he does pretty much everything else. He was, he almost had a triple double. He gets those dirty buckets. You know, he keeps possessions alive, fighting for rebounds. He forces turnovers. He He's going to be that nuisance. You know, every every college basketball team likes to have a player like him that could just kind of, you know, fill up a stat sheet and make sure the opposing best player knows he's there at all times. Yeah, his final line was nine points on four of nine shooting, uh, nine rebounds, which were two of which were offensive rebounds. Six assists, two blocks, and two steals in 30 minutes. So literally just checking every little part of the box score, doing a little bit of everything. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was an impressive all-around showing um, back to suing a little bit. I think that people don't fully remember or understand how good of a player Justice Suing is when he was at Cal. And also, yeah. very few fans have got to watch him in person. Um, I, we were talking about that on press row during the game. That was only Justice's third time playing in front of fans because his first season was a red shirt back before you could transfer and play immediately. And then he was healthy during the COVID season and he scored 11 points per game-ish. Um, but there were no fans there. And then last year, he only played in two games. So those are his first and second games in front of fans. And then last night, so he's been at Ohio State since... 2018 this is his third time playing in front of fans i don't think people truly understand how good of a player he is yeah i i really don't either i i just think uh in college basketball it's rare to find like a true three level player and he just does that he has a nice mid-range game he could step out hit a three off the dribble or you know off ball movement and he's just he's just a physical force when you have a smaller guy trying to defend him and he's quick enough to beat most of the bigger guys he might end up getting guarding him because his position of the four sometimes. And I think that's something I I think Coltman went after early and like throughout the game against Robert Morris, they just trusted him to make the right decisions. And I, I, I I didn't even know that like three games in front of people. I I guess that's kind of where the reputation really is formed by the fans in the stands. But man, that was, 
it was fresh. It was nice to see. Yeah, and he's left-handed too, which probably is not as important as we make it out to be. But having played just like pickup basketball here and there, guarding a guy who's a lefty that will drive at the basket is a little bit different. Um, it's just a little bit kind of wonky, not what you're typically used to. I'm sure it's not as important when you've been doing it for years and years, but um, he's also a lefty and he was aggressive. His 14 shots last night, or what am I saying here? Monday, 14 shots on Monday. That was the most shots he's ever taken as an Ohio State Buckeye because pretty much the entire COVID year when he was playing, you had uh, Dwayne Washington around and yep. uh, EJ Liddell around. So they didn't need him to be a guy who was a 13 to 14 uh, shot attempts per game guy. I think he averaged like seven shots a game and he just kind of coasted to like 10 points per game, seven shot attempts. He shot right around 50%, which is super efficient. Um, they just didn't need him to be what he was against Robert Morris. They didn't need him to do that years ago. Um, so that was a question for me going into the game was, is Justice Suing going to continue to be what we had previously seen, which was kind of passive um, complimentary, or is he going to put the ball on the ground and, and just go at the basket and say, like, I am the alpha on this team now, so I'm going to take my 15 shots. And, and that's what he did. Yeah, and he did it well. And it wasn't something he had to force. It was very natural in the flow of the game. He was definitely a willing passer when he'd get down to the lane. So I, I think it's a promising start for him getting back from the injury. The 48 team rebounds. This is a fun fact. Um, 48 team rebounds by Ohio state during that game um, is the most that an Ohio state team has had since they played Robert Morris back in 2017, which was Chris Holtman's very first game with Ohio state. They had 49 rebounds. Um, I don't know how significant that is against Robert Morris, but it is kind of funny that I was looking back in the records. I'm like, when's the last time they had 48 rebounds? How far back do I have to go? And there it was. I was like, there's no way. Full circle, man. The way the universe works sometimes. Um, What else do we got here? Um, Okay, this is something I'm sure you noticed too. So Bowen Hardman, Kalen Etzler, um, they played in like the final five minutes, the trash minutes, doesn't matter. And then Gene Brown was out with a concussion. It is going to be something to keep an eye on if Gene Brown or Kalen Etzler can kind of push their way into that rotation. Gene, Gene Brown is not playing against Charleston Southern. Chris Holtman clarified that at his uh, press conference. Uh, Kalen Etzler is healthy, though. I just don't know if there's going to be a spot for him because Gene's going to come back. Kalen Etzler has, is not playing at all against Robert Morris, and we'll see about Charleston Southern, but um, – I don't think there's going to be a spot for those guys to break in. And even, even Gene Brown, I don't know if there's going to be space for him to break in for minutes. Yeah, I definitely think um, Etzler is probably another year away from like physically being ready to get fully involved in the rotation, which is saying something given that we had three, what true freshmen play extended minutes. Uh, but I, I just think, you know, um, Gene Brown, you know, he's kind of had a rough go of it. I, I think he's a talented defender. I think he could do a lot of things. He struggled a lot last year's shooting. So I, I really do think uh, with how well Bryce Sensiball played, with how well uh, like Tanner Holden, you know, Sean McNeil, those guys are going to take a lot of minutes from Eugene Brown. So it, it's it's really just kind of 
there, there was a reason that Holtman went to the portal in the first place. It's kind of fill out the roster again, you know, losing Liddell. You had to get those points somewhere. Uh, Aaron's left. Uh, so you kind of have some straight up trades, you know, and then uh, – I, I, I like the effort Sean McNeil had on the defense end, you know, likely a uh, very good defender. I just like looking at Gene Brown's skill set. I just don't really see a place where he necessarily fits into that rotation. And I don't either. Um, I don't have his recruiting profile pulled up. I think he was like a high three-star, low four-star, um, which was three years ago. I mean, that was totally kind of run of the mill of what Ohio state men's basketball was recruiting at. But now it kind of, the standard has kind of been raised in the past couple of years to now you're probably not going to see Ohio state recruit a whole lot of high three stars. You're going to see mid to upper four stars and that's about it. So it's just looking at the landscape of who you've got, the guys that you've mentioned. And then if he was to come back next year, you throw in Devin Royal and Scotty Middleton and Tayson Chapman, um, we don't want to predict transfers. We don't want to say like, hey, this guy's out the door before the season even starts. But I think that Gene Brown is, is a guy that if he doesn't get a ton of minutes this year, I could potentially see him potentially see him seeking other opportunities if, if it looks like it's not going to open up for him. Yeah, for sure. And it, it's definitely, like you said, they've raised the level of t- – like bottom like the bot the floor of the talent is much higher now that was what i was trying to say there um and you know like like multiple guys that it was similar skill set similar positions that just do it a little bit better and that's that's not easy because i think you always kind of want the players on the team you follow to be successful but there there was a reason uh the only place you know roddy gale jr he looked he he Three for five, you know, good, solid performance. I think that would be kind of the only place a guy who played significant, and it was only how many minutes he played. He didn't play that many minutes, but Roddy played. I, guess, I think I think fourteen or fifteen. I think you could probably find those potentially with Eugene Brown, unless you know Roddy keeps playing like that. I was gonna save this for later, um, but since we're talking about Gene and Kalen and stuff, I'm, I think I'm gonna bring it up a little bit sooner. At, at Holtman's press conference, which um, for the folks listening, basically um, Ryan Day does the same thing with football, I believe. Pretty much for every single Ohio State basketball game, Chris Holtman will do a short press conference the day before the game, unless it's like a weekend where they have like a Thursday and a Sunday, then he'll preview those two games. So he had a press conference on uh, Wednesday talking about Charleston Southern a little bit. Mostly he was talking about the 2023 class, which officially signed on Wednesday. And somebody asked him, Chris, is there an opportunity to add a fifth player to this class? And his answer, um, (laughs) I think that he gave a lot of media heads in the room, all kinds of fodder to write because the answer makes you scratch your chin a little bit. He said, right now we are at our limit for this class, but we'll reevaluate that in the spring. That is an interesting way to put it. And you really don't hear coaches kind of talking in those like coaches usually love to have that definitive, like no or yes. And that's definitely not that. Right. And I think the, I saw people on Twitter kind of grab it, not a ton, um, but say, Oh, somebody's leaving, somebody's leaving. And when you talk about the rotation, the nine guys they had playing, 
And then those three guys, uh, Gene Brown, Kalen Etzler, and Bowen Hardman, there's probably not going to be, well, we know there's not going to be minutes from Bowen Hardman because Holtman flat out said he's not going to play. But the other two guys um, are guys that probably could start and get good minutes somewhere, but just not here. Um, so I think the odds that Bowen Hardman and Kalen Etzler and Gene Brown are all still on this Ohio State roster come, I'd say, April 15th is 0% which would oh, yeah I'd, I'd agree with that i mean it's just kind of the landscape of college basketball as well at this point which would open up a scholarship spot which you could do a number of things with you could add another guy um in the you could throw another guy in the 2024 class you could leave it for a transfer or um you could add if there's any 2023 recruits in the spring who still have not committed which is very uncommon but there is a four-star guard who uh, has a very famous father who is very interested in Ohio State, it seems, who is not going to be committing anywhere, it seems like, until the spring. Is that Peja Stoyakovich's kid? Yeah, I think so. Um, <laughs> we're talking Bronny James. We're talking Bronny James. And oh, kinda, no, I'm just kidding. Exactly. I kind of closed the book on that a while back. Everybody was like, oh, Bronny's got to go to Ohio State. He has to. Like, his – it just makes too much sense. There was no space. There's no space on the roster. There's no scholarships to give. But my ears just kind of perked up when he was like, we'll reevaluate that in the spring because um, somebody's going to leave or multiple somebodies are going to leave. And then all of a sudden there, there could be a scholarship for Bronny James. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm pro Bronny. I know the media circus that would come with having Bronny on campus might not be something Holtman once, you know, Holtman's already kind of a lightning rod in kind of an unfair way for criticism. But I, I do think that there's not there's nothing that would make me say no to Bronny if he wants to come because he's a good basketball player. I just think yeah, he's good. He needs to come in with the level of expectations. Like he's the what sixty third best player in the country. That does, that's not I the think- one and done range. That's not. And I think if people which this is really trusting people could come at it with a logical sense about where Bronny is as a player. It could be a really good fit with the way he plays basketball. Yeah. Me and me and Justin talked about this, uh, several, several months ago, we, we did an episode with a lot of Bronny stuff. It's, uh, you're right. I mean, Bronny is not a caliber of player that's going to be a one and done. If his dad wasn't in the, that's, that's like the, the wild card is, I would be shocked if Bronny was in college more than one or two years, even though he's clearly like a, probably a three or four year type of player. Um, yep. How much does his dad being in the NBA, and his dad saying before I retire, I really want to play with Bronny. I really want to play with my son. Um, if Bronny was to declare for the draft after a freshman or sophomore season where he averages, I don't know, say like nine or 10 points per game would somebody either draft or sign him just because it's very clear that LeBron's like my goal before I retire is to play on the same team as Bronny. So would a team draft him in the second round or sign him and be like, Hey, this, this might mean we get the combo. Yeah. I mean, if you're an NBA GM, like what in that'd be two years from now, LeBron's going to be in his forties. You know, he's, on his way out and this is you'll probably get one opportunity with them so if you're an already established team i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg 
This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I, I don't think, I don't know why you wouldn't use your second round pick on Bronny to just give him a shot. You get LeBron and then hopefully, you know, it works out that way. And like, who like Bronny, I mean, he's a good basketball player. So right. it's not like far fetched to think he can play at the NBA. It's just what level of player can he be there? And I was about to make a joke. It's like, yeah, I mean, in a year or two, he could sign a two way contract with like the LA defenders and be fine and it'd be a fun <laughs> experience. But uh, I, I do think. I, 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 it's hard to project that far ahead because as much as we love to like LeBron being this all telling like media figure that he is, like I think he understands that Bronny needs his time and to develop and to play basketball. And uh, parents aren't reasonable until they have to be. And I think he'd take a reasonable approach to Bronny's career in college. Yeah, he's a good, he's a good player. And that was another, another misconception if you ever spend time on Facebook looking at like the land grant articles and the comments they get on Facebook or, or any of the other sites, 11 warriors, whatever uh, the comments about Brownie James are always either. We don't want the headache. We don't need the drama or he's not actually that good. It's just his last name, which is false. He's like a top 50 player in the class. He's a four-star guard. He's going to be a difference maker for somebody. He's going to be a very good college player. I just don't, nobody really thinks he's a one and done type guy. And all of this is pretty pie in the sky too. Like the odds that he ends up at Ohio state are probably pretty low, but that was really interesting that he just said, we'll reevaluate that in the spring. We'll, we'll see if we might want to add another player to this class in the spring when very few yeah. players in this class will still be not committed in the spring, but Ronnie will be one of them. Yeah. And that's definitely something uh, he could mean a lot of things. Holtman, it could be a transfer. It could be Bronny. Uh, it could be another guy, you know, but um, the stories will roll out and I, I it's definitely going to be something they evaluate. That's for sure. It absolutely will. And I would say percentage wise, the odds of I'm, I'm sure he did not mean we're considering Bronny James. I'm sure he's thinking they're going to be transfers available. There might be some kids still not committed, but I just think it's interesting that, you know, Bronny's not going to be committed till the spring. So the timing would be potentially clashing. Anyway, the only other thing I wanted to note about the Robert Morris game, um, Chris, I don't know how much you pay attention to like the different Ken Palm stats, um, offensive and defensive efficiency, tempo, things like that. Um, but I'm sure you do know that Ohio State has been, they play basketball slower than mud since Chris Holtman got to Columbus. Like they are not yeah, a flashy, it, fast moving team. It's, uh, it's, it was, it's fun to watch when it works, but it is incredibly frustrating when it doesn't. And the stuck in mud is very funny because that's exactly what it felt like sometimes when they'd work the ball to Liddell in the post, then run a bunch of motions off of it. And then it basically just end up being Liddell with 10 seconds on the shot clock trying to get a basket. Right. And that's how people get sometimes frustrated when, when <laughs> Holtman's <laughs> offensive teams or um, they'll watch Ohio State lose to Rutgers like 68 to, to 59. And they're like, this offense sucks. And somebody turns around and throws the offensive efficiency back. That's just mm -hmm. the percentage of time you're getting a, a bucket on each possession. But the problem is they move so slow that people are like, 
that's a dumb stat. Like that's that's stupid. I just watched him score fifty nine points. Well, if you look at the fifty nine points, maybe they still somehow shot like forty seven percent because they're moving so slow. But against Robert Morris, they actually had a very nice sixty nine possessions in that game um, last year. They averaged 65 possessions per game. And in Ken Palm's tempo rankings, tempo is basically possessions for 40 minutes, which is a standard game. Last year, Ohio State was 289th in tempo out of 350 teams. Um, however, Jeez. I checked the stats, and, and last year, 69 possessions per game would put you in the 70 to 75 range so making an, a, a very clear effort to get the rebound and get back down to the other end as quick as possible yeah i i, I mean you kind of you definitely saw it i think they have a few guys who could get out and run a little bit more this year uh get comfortable you know and finish under the basket you know i hate to bring this up because i hate doing this to players who are gone but it's like when justin aarons ran on a fast break it was kind of like worrisome i like i saw i isaac uh get out and run i saw suing get out and run i saw almost all these guys and they handled the ball very comfortably and attacked the rim very well and i think that's gonna allow holtman to trust the transition game just a little bit more, I think. And, you know, they forced 11 turnovers. I think that's a big part of it. And they weren't a lot of, like, ball go out of bounds turnovers. They were in the flow of the game, and and they got out and ran with it. Yeah. Some of the – I think they had 14 turnovers, and you're right. Several of those were, like, sprinting down the floor trying to make a, get a quick basket in transition, and they just chucked it away or – uh, goofed up the pass, but it was almost always in transition. I just think it's worth noting that uh, after one game, 69 possessions, I think they're still in the 200s, but that's because so many teams are in the same spot as Ohio State. They're playing crappy teams, so they're just flying up and down the court right now. But once everything settles down, um, 69 possessions per game last year would have put you in the 70 to 75 range out of 350, which would be, I believe, Chris Holtman's fastest tempo team so just something to yeah, keep definitely. an eye on. We love, we love Ken Palm. We think that Ken Palm's efficiency, like the, the offense and defensive efficiency, are just uh, like one of the best statistics you can use to measure a team on each end just because it For takes sure, out all yeah. the – it cuts out all the fat off the edges. Yeah, and like it's it's funny. I, I think there was that adjustment period all these players had with playing together, and then once that kind of passed, you could see the tempo pick up. So – 69 uh, might even be a low number moving – not a low number, but I think, like you said, as it levels out, I think that might be something they can aim for. Yeah, I agree. Um, and we'll see if they if they move even quicker against Charleston Southern because, like you said, um, now that they've kind of got the, the jitters out after the first 10 minutes of that game against Robert Morris that were kind of – kind of crappy. Um, they might move even, yeah, very yeah, they might move even quicker against Charleston Southern – which we won't spend a ton of time on Charleston Southern because, frankly, there's not really a reason to. Um, they're pretty bad. They uh, they beat Division Two Toco Falls. Sounds like Taco Fall. Um, Toco uh, Falls, eighty-two fifty-one on Monday for their. So they're one and zero, but it's over a D two team. Um, hey, Charleston that's the Southern, Taco of Falls. What'd you say? That's the Taco of Falls. <laughs> 
That's correct. <laughs> they, uh, they beat D2 Taco Fall 82-51. Um, they came in last place in the Big South last season. I think they were like 1-15 in, in conference play. They were number 320 in Ken Palm going into this game which is worse than what Robert Morris is ranked in Ken Palm's rankings after they lost to Ohio State. Um, yeah, that is low. They're a bad team. Um, six transfers. They have six transfers on their roster, and they lost four players from last year. Uh, I just don't think there's a lot like that you can analyze pregame for this. Um, if you do, everything that you want to keep an eye for is on Ohio State's side, nothing on Charleston's yeah, absolutely. side. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I actually watched a Charleston Southern coaches Barclay Radabaugh, uh, the little preview the Big South Network does before this. Uh, I mean, you got the two players on the show plan, uh, Talik Chavez. He, he, he said he's a two guard, so I'm interested to see what he does at the two, but I, I think I, I spent a little too much time being serious here. Um <laughs> It's 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 not a game like you said. It's not a game where we're going to learn anything really of note. But I think this is a game where you tell how business oriented this team is. Uh, if they play this game crisp, if they play this game uh, efficient, and you know, just kind of take it from start to finish, end to end, you don't really have any issues. That's really what you want to see. Yeah, because there weren't a, there weren't a ton of negatives to take away from the Robert Morris game. There was, I think, four, I mean, fourteen turnovers is is um, objectively bad. You do not want fourteen turnovers in any game, so they'll want to cut down the turnovers. But they had their best rebounding game in five years. They shot nearly fifty percent from the floor. They shot nearly fifty percent from three. Um, there's like not much they could improve on from that game to this game, except maybe turnovers. Um, what might be interesting to see is, is, is it going to be another justice suing game where he drops 20? Could you see Tanner Holden put up 20, 25? You're going to see Bryce sense Like these are the games early that potentially could pad some of those stats, like a guy like Bryce sense or Tanner Holden that could push up their stats early so that later in the season, it kind of padded their overall stats. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm excited to see what Bryce Sensabaugh does again. Uh, I don't think he's going to be a 2010 guy for the entire season, but getting this confidence early, he looks incredibly pro-ready. I thought Bruce Thornton handled the ball really well for a guy playing in his first co- collegiate game. Um, I think the freshmen are really what I'm going to be watching just to see their skill set, just see how it keeps translating to this level, uh, loosely to this level, I should add, because they are – 320 in Kempom, but um, Zed Key hitting some more threes. That'll be exciting. Uh, (laughs) The list goes on a little bit. Uh, And, you know, I didn't mention this in the Robert Morris game, but uh, in the talk, but they held Robert Morris two points over five minutes, which it doesn't matter who you're playing in basketball. That's pretty impressive. So I want to see if that defensive effort stays high against Charleston Southern. Yeah, that's – their their defensive uh, efficiency and ranking and that's something that Chris Holtman has pointed out uh, quite a bit in the preseason too is his goal his goal every year is he wants to be a top twenty five offense and a top twenty five defense well they've pretty much been a top twenty five offense every year but one since he got there first couple of years they're good defensively last year I think they were like a hundred and eleventh in overall defense so I don't think they're going to make the jump from that to inside the top 25 but me and justin 
Um, we agreed that if Ohio State could just, even if they could just make it an improvement from the 111th defense to say the 50th defense, like on the dot, it would make such a big improvement if they hold the offense steady where it's been and they just jump to say 50th in defense. It would make so much of a difference overall. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that's exactly what a lot of people were saying about Ohio State football as well. So, I mean, just that level of commitment to it, it's just something you have to believe in. Uh, I mean, that's why you get a player like Isaac Likely. That's why you get a player uh, – I, I lost my sheet. Uh, but, you know, that's why you build the roster with – I Sean McNeil, that's who I was going to say. He's from West Virginia. You can't play at West Virginia without high defensive effort. So, um, I, I just think – that's a good sign. And just assuming, like we already talked about, very good uh, – not good, but he's a versatile defender. And I think you have right. the you have the guys there to do it. It, it really comes down to I, – I think this isn't going to bite them early, but Ohio State is a lengthy team, but they're not a big team. They don't really have that legitimate big – like Zed Key will do his best. He's not a vertical guy, though. So I'm ex- – I, I just think – it's a team effort defense this year, and I'm excited to see it. That's really where I'm at with the defense. Last thing on Charleston Southern, which I think I might have said this earlier, Gene Brown ruled out again with the concussion. Um, it, we're going to hopefully see him in their third their, their third game before Maui gets started, and their third game is, I believe, Eastern Illinois. Um, it's Eastern Illinois um, next Wednesday. Because if, if Gene Brown doesn't get any, if Gene Brown doesn't get any, a tune-up, we'll say a tune-up, before San Diego State and potentially Arizona or Cincinnati, um, I don't, that's going to be real gonna tough be to hard. just throw him into the fire in Maui as his first game. Yeah, throwing him to the Aztecs, you know, San Diego State, like they're built on their defense effort, so it's not really a place you want to get started. So that's what we're going to cover for our pregame um, coverage and our recap for Robert Morris. Chris, since we haven't had you on at all, I would love to just get just your general thoughts on Ohio State this season, the Big Ten, I guess, what what different teams other than Ohio State are you excited to maybe watch and check out? Um, just your general thoughts, I guess, going into the season. Yeah, I'm definitely excited about Ohio State basketball this year. I mean, the four freshmen really get you – excited about this team and immediate returns, you know, one game in, I, I think these transfers fit into what Holtman wants to do offensively really well. I think they fit what he wants to do defensively really well. So I think if they could get um, cohesive early, if they could do well in Maui, get some confidence heading into December, um, this could be, this could be a dangerous team that it's going to be a tough out for anybody in the big 10. Uh, I thought the Schottenstein had some really good energy for a game against Robert Morris. So I'm hoping the fans buy in early and make sure that they're very appreciative of this team early, because I think they're going to be a talented basketball team that does well in the big 10. Uh, and I, I think they have two like potential player of the year candidates in Zed key and Justice suing. I don't think either of them will run away with it and win, but I think they, they might get talk well into the conference calendar. So, uh, that's where I'm at with Ohio State. Uh, other teams I like, I, I always like. Uh, I like watching Trace Jackson Davis. I think he's a talented player. I'm not sure I buy into their number one hype uh, because I, I do think I, – I hate saying this out loud, but I do think Michigan's a really good basketball team again. Um, 
Illinois, a lot of transfers. Uh, well, they had the guy from the tournament who did really well. The he was from Baylor, correct? So they got a guy from Baylor who was Matthew Meyer from Baylor. Yeah, and he's like the six eight dude who can shoot. They also got Terrence Shannon from Texas Tech, who might have been the most sought after transfer. Yeah, um, twenty point six assists. You know, and I think it'll be interesting to watch them not uh, having to play through Kofi Cockburn as much. Because I, I think at, at he's a he was a dominant player, but I think at times you know when you have a player of that stature, your offensive game plan kind of gets thrown out of the window to like force it to that guy. But I, I don't think I have right. any really hot take picks or anything. I think it's going to be a fun year. Uh, I, I mean Iowa. I, I hope they don't do well. I don't know why. I, I've had a personal vendetta against Iowa since I went to the game and had to watch Jordan Bohannon like three times in my college career. So. Um, that's kind of where I'm at. I just anyone but Iowa, honestly. So Iowa is picked, I think, to finish somewhere between sixth and eighth in the Big Ten. I actually picked them. I picked them to finish fourth. I think that they're going to be a lot better than that. But me and me and Justin, our our hot take is that Penn State is going to probably make the the NCAA tournament. Oh, that, that's, yeah, our, that's our hot take for this year, just to keep an eye on the Nittany Seth Lions. Lundy. Yeah, I know. I knew. I knew that guy. Uh, what's with uh, Iowa programs and uh, nepotism, though? You got Fran McCaffrey with his sons. You got Kirk Ferentz with his <laughs> son. That's uh, a trend. Like, it, it's an interesting trend there. I, I understand that Iowa doesn't maybe have the expectations of some other teams in like championships and stuff, but that's not the way to do it. So. The Iowa kids, one of the Iowa kids is actually very good. The the younger Iowa kid, Patrick McCaffrey, is like a 10 points per game scorer. Um, then you have Connor McCaffrey, who's like a sixth or seventh year senior, and he's like a three or four, three or four points per game kind of guy. Um, but that is really funny. I actually, I never even put two and two together that, that Kirk Ferentz, that Kirk Ferentz's son has been on staff far too long and that um, Fran McCaffrey's uh older son probably has been on the team for far too long as well yeah i i remember patrick being good he actually he had one of those big monstrous dunks i'm pretty sure against us last year and i was like okay that's a that's not the mccaffrey i'm used to watching that's that's enough of this no more of this um i guess that's probably good for ohio state in the big 10 what we'll close with um, Chris, you're going to learn about, about a little bit about St. John's basketball today. We're going to pick up the St. John's update again. And Chris, I'll give you the background of the St. John's update. <laughs> Two seasons ago during the COVID season, um, there was a mutiny on the St. John's within the St. John's basketball program. Um, oh, wow. St. John's was St. John's was invited to, um, the NIT during the COVID season. But the week before the NIT started, so their very final game, um, head coach Mike Anderson of the St. John's Red Storm, God bless their souls, um, he threatened to kick a player off the team because he was upset about his shot selection. So he took a player during the middle of the game and, quotes, kicked him off the team. Um, Then they went to the NIT, and the players basically said, after what you just did to that guy, we're actually we're not going to play for you. We're not we're not we're not playing in the NIT. Oh, we won't wow. do it. So St. John's turned down the NIT invitation, and their athletic director put out a statement that said because of because of the COVID 
um, uh, the threat of getting COVID, we've decided that we're not going to send our guys to the NIT. That was their excuse. Until one of their assistant coaches filed a lawsuit shortly thereafter um, against, I believe it was against Mike Anderson. Um, I don't know that for sure. So for legal reasons, I don't know the answer for sure. But I believe it was against Mike Anderson. Um, and all of this came out that the players basically said, you tried to kick our teammate off the team because he took a bad shot. We're not playing the NIT. So they didn't do it. And then leading into last season, Mike Anderson had a comment at Big East Media Days that basically said our non-conference, we, we don't play cupcakes in our non-conference. So me and Justin looked up their non-conference schedule and all, pretty much every single team they played was Ken Palm 300 plus. Hey, that sounds like St. John's basketball to me. So literally every team in their non-conference was exactly a cupcake. And he went out of his way to say, we ain't playing no cupcakes in our non-conference. And we're like, oh my goodness. So we, we, we were just, St. John's has been a very um, problematic, entertaining basketball program for the past year or two because of just all the shenanigans and just embarrassing stuff. Yeah, that is some serious shenanigans, honestly. And I looked up St. John's because I'm like, there's no way this guy's still employed. And he is still, in fact, the head coach of St. John's basketball. And they're honestly going to be an interesting and fun team to watch. If you remember Andre Curbelo from Illinois, he's, oh, yeah. a, he's a Long Island kid. He transferred yep. back to St. John's. If you remember Montez Mathis from Rutgers, that's a little more obscure. He transferred from Rutgers to St. John's. Um, Posh Alexander is a preseason first team, like all Big East player. Um, so they have some pieces there. But can you take all these like guards that demand the ball and make yeah. it work? I don't know. It sounds like the perfect uh, the perfect recipe for some like drama. Yeah, the Andre Curbelo effect with other guards who are ball dominant. It's going to be interesting to see. And St. John's, they are 1-0 this season. That is your St. John's update. They rolled past Merrimack uh, 97-72 um, on Tuesday. They won by 25, and Merrimack is actually in their third season in Division One. Um, they beat Traditional power. They beat Northwestern and out-of-conference play a couple years ago, and it was their very first season being D1. So that Incredible. is uh, St. John's beat Merrimack. St. John's is 1-0. We'll keep tabs on them because I'm sure it'll get worse. I'm excited to see what they do against Central Connecticut State in a few weeks. <laughs> All right. We're, that's going to be probably it today. We're going to do the closing. Chris, do, do you want to – I know you're new to this. Do you want to take us home? Uh, yeah. Uh, just go through the closing remarks you guys have here. Uh, yep, yeah. Yep, I mean, you got it. If you found the show on Land Grant's website, make sure you also subscribe on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get podcasts. You can find Bucketheads and Buck Off under the Land Grant Holy Land feed. So if you guys want to hear me talk about the nonsense that is college football and soon a little bit of college basketball as well, uh, because I never miss a Buckeyes game, uh, you guys can check me out there as well. So uh, passing it back to Connor. uh, You can also follow Bucketheads on Twitter at Bucketheads LGHL for in-game updates and all kinds of other nonsense. Uh, you can follow me at Lamonds underscore Connor, L-E-M-O-N-S underscore Connor if you want. Um, I'm at most of the home games and hopefully a few road games this season, so I try to share stuff as well. Um, and then, Chris, where can people follow you as well as um, Buck Off on Twitter and, and anything else that you're working on right now? Yeah, so you guys can find me on Twitter at Chris Rennie CFB. I made a joke before the show. You might as well call that CBB in a few months. Uh, but then you can follow my podcast at Buck Off Pod. 
uh, the Bug Off podcast at Bug Off Pod. Sorry. And then, uh, yeah, I write the film analysis for football. You know what? I like this team a lot, so I might try to throw some of those in there for basketball. If it gets approved by the basketball managing editor, uh, we'll see about that. Uh, but uh, you'll have to get you guys will have to check in on Connor with that one. And that's about it right now. I've got a show Friday, instant recap Saturday. High State plays Indiana this week. Going to be a real barn burner. Uh, so that's that's where I'm at. And then anything else you got to say? I'm ready to listen. I think that's all we got. So if you made it this far, if you made it 45 minutes in, we appreciate you folks for listening this week. Have a great weekend and go Bucks.